welcome in, guys, to a special episode of the Dynamic Dialogue podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with Josh Smith, also known as The Market Hustle, one of my go-to resources for financial and wealth creation advice on the internet. There's so much noise. There's so much junk, just like the fitness space. It's oftentimes hard to figure out what's the best way to spend my money? What's the best way to invest my money? What are some habits and things that I can do to better use my money and set myself up for success in the future? And as somebody who's interested in personal finance and is quite adept at drawing parallels between certain things, I could not help but notice that much of what makes people successful in fitness and the psychology behind those habits are similar when it comes to wealth management. So I'm sitting down today with Josh Smith of The Market Hustle to share with you guys some things that you can do to improve your financial health because I believe that's a huge component of your overall health. Sit back and enjoy. Josh, how's it going, man? It's going great, man. Thank you so much for uh, having me on here, Daniel. It's a pleasure to finally get to speak with you. Absolutely, man. Anytime. For uh, those of you who don't know Josh uh, or Josh's um, account, The Market Hustle, it's it's a finance account that I have shared quite a bit of on my Instagram. It's one of my go-to kind of personal finance slash wealth creation, wealth management accounts. Josh does a phenomenal job of aggregating information and putting it together in a way that's digestible. And I think uh, particularly younger people, they're very interested in ways that they could better manage their money, make their money work for them, avoid some of the common pitfalls when it comes to money management. And Josh's philosophy around money is so similar to how I look at fitness. I had to get him on the podcast because I'm a firm believer that financial health is a component of your overall health and financial stress uh, can be a problem for your marriage, for anxiety, for stress, depression, you name it. And getting your money right is huge and everybody can do it with small steps. I'm convinced of that no matter where you're at. So Josh, I'd love it if you could kind of intro for everybody who you are, what got you into finance, personal finance, and uh, what you're working on now before we get into some questions. Definitely. Yeah. So um, yeah, my name's Josh. I've uh, been investing for roughly nine years ago. Um, I'm 26 years old. So I don't want people to think I have everything figured out. And I'm like this 50 year old guy living the life and everything. Like I'm still figuring out a lot of things on my ends. But um, to keep it kind of short, I started the market hustle in 2017. So roughly five years ago. And the whole reason why I started the page was because I wanted to build something that I can share what I learn as I learn it. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and that's what I've been doing for the past five years. Like as I learn things, like as, as I, you know, go through different finance books and as I'm like, you know, trying to tailor my specific investing strategy, I share that openly, like kind of the concepts and the principles I learn with everybody in my audience. So that's kind of how I got started five years ago is I, it was mostly just a hobby. Um, I started my page just kind of throwing some stuff out there. Um, I, I didn't think anybody wanted to really learn about finance because like talking about finance isn't really sexy. Like people don't really go out there out of their way to like, you know, you know, sh bullshit about stocks. And I mean, they will when when there's like crazy markets, like we saw the past couple of years, you'll start hear, mm -hmm. hearing people bullshit about stocks and everything. But generally speaking, a lot of finance is pretty boring. So my whole philosophy has been just trying to like make it more interesting and kind of make the concepts simple, easy, digestible, and in a way for people to people similar to like my age or that are in my age age group to like deeply understand what I'm talking about. Cause I mean, I'm sure you've, you've had your time in the finance or trying to learn stuff as well. Cause we've kind of gone back and forth a little bit. Um, a lot of the stuff out there is just kind of complex, like the whole wall street side of things, tries to keep things complex on purpose because they make a lot of money doing so. So um, that that's kind of where I've found my fit into my personal finance business is I've been trying to just simplify the core concepts and uh, make them easy, easy, digestible for everybody to uh, learn if they want to learn. Yeah. And you do a really good job of that. And, and you've hit on something initially that I love, which is that you're figuring it out as you go. You're sharing the learning process. Obviously, you have an extremely high level of expertise. And I'm younger myself. We're the same age. Um, and oh, there awesome. is a certain amount of wisdom that comes from just having practiced, having read, having been in the trenches. It's not all correlated with age. You have quite a bit of wisdom for somebody who's 26. But I think a lot of that comes from your humility, your desire to learn, 
share that learning experience. And something I love about what you do is you don't speak in absolutes, which is super common in the financial world. It's super common in the Mm -hmm. fitness world as if to say like, look, I've got it all figured out. This is the best diet. This is the best workout in the same way people might say, this is the best crypto. This is the best stock. You know, And I think that the truth of the matter is all these situations are a bit more nuanced. They're a bit more dynamic. And just generally rounding out your understanding of fitness and finance and building a good platform is critical for whether it's building long-term health or building long-term wealth. Anybody can get lucky. They can win the genetic lottery. They can just have a great physique, or they can maybe be born into a family with money. But for the rest of us, we're going to have to find something that consistently works more than it doesn't. We're going to have to deal with adversity. There's going to be days where the scale goes up, days where the scale goes down. Same thing's true of the market, right? But having that humility, having that growth mindset, and most importantly, kind of knowing like, hey, I don't know everything. And I've got my eyes up and my ears open. I'm paying attention. I'm learning as I go. I I really love that. And I think the thing I'd like to open with... uh, something that we've talked about before. And I know there's actually a book that both of us enjoy called The Psychology of Money. And it's just the psychology of what you believe it takes to be successful in the investing slash wealth creation slash money management game. I have noticed that my psychology can be a blessing or a curse. It can work for me or against me, whether it's Mm -hmm. with my fitness or my finances. Uh, what do you think are kind of the central tenets of psychology for success with money? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would say, honestly, first off, I just think there's a lot of confusion around the concept of money to begin with, right? And I'm sure you can hit on that with fitness as well. There's just so much misinformation out there, right? I mean, and it's hard to figure out like who you want, who you should listen to. And I mean, I would go as far as to say is like everybody's everybody's situation is going to be different, right? Everybody, like, like you, like you hinted at earlier, um, you're going to, everybody has a different starting point. Everybody has a different way at going about whatever goals they want to achieve. So like, if you want to become a millionaire, at least in the finance world, there's so many different ways you can go about that. I mean, there's, you have real estate, you have crypto, you have stocks and like, it's hard just to give one generic answer of how to go about it and sure. kind of talking about like how you said, don't go and don't speak in absolutes. That's one thing I take to heart because I understand that everybody's personal finance situation is going to be completely different depending on you know who they are, where they're at. Um, and the cool thing with social media, and I'm sure you can hit on this as well, is like we have, at least I, I have a global audience. So there's people from different countries and you know different states. So it's really difficult to just try to give generic money advice, I guess, so to speak. Totally. But- I've, I've found based on like everything that I've kind of read. So like pers- the uh, psychology of money book is a fantastic book, but based on that book, I would say the thing people get confused about the most is just like the wealth concept in general. And what I mean by that is I think people have this funny image of like what they think wealth is or just mm. getting or becoming riches. Right. Yeah. And you know, it, it's, and I mean, I'm sure you can talk to this on the fitness side, but like everybody just kind of wants to one up each other in in the finance in the finance world, right? It's it's more totally. so like a like a status competition to where people think you know you're wealthy if you have the Lambo or you have the the Gucci belts or you have the big house. Like that's they they have the this Hollywood image of wealth and they think that's what wealth is. When in reality, most millionaires, most like multi millionaires. Like they're not really that, that, like, that's not what they are. Like a lot of them live pretty, like more or less moderate frugal lives. Like they're Mm -hmm. living, they're driving Toyotas that, you know, they're living in like moderately sized houses, you know, and, and that, that a lot of people can't really grasp that because when they think of wealth, they think people are driving these Lambos and stuff like that. But the truth is they're not like Hollywood's kind of done everybody dirty because they, they build this mental image of like what, what people want to think wealth is when in reality, um, most wealthy people live pretty much frugal lives, more or less. And I mean, obviously there's exceptions, right? Obviously there's going to be people who have money and they're living this crazy lifestyle. But to be honest with you, Daniel, is a lot of those people who live those type of lifestyles, like they end up broke again a few years later, you know? So yeah. they just kind of shit away all their money. They're not being smart about it because the people who are smart about money um, are the ones who put it to work, right? They're mm-hmm. buying assets, they're buying businesses and stuff like that. They're, they're, um, maybe they'll upgrade their lifestyle a little bit, you know, maybe they'll have like a nice house and stuff, but they're not putting all their money in just upgrading their lifestyle. And I think that's where the confusion is. It's like, people think 
you know, wealth, I just throw all my money and try to like flex my wealth, you know, buy the Lambo and stuff like that. But in reality, I mean, you can do that, but you got to find the balance and you're only going to get, you're only going to build wealth or get rich if you're buying things that pay you to own them, such as assets, real estate, whatever it is, stuff that makes you money, not stuff that makes you look like you have money. Yeah, no, I think that's a wonderful point. And it, it, there's so many parallels. We'll, we'll probably have a parallel for every point you make, but oh, for uh, sure. <laughs> just the, the way in which wealth is conveyed, illustrated in media, whether it be film, television, social media, is usually, like you said, uh, fancy cars, you know, big, beautiful houses. And yeah. there are certainly people who have wealth and have those things. But I think that the misconception is that those are indicators of wealth when in fact, you can become a slave to your possessions if you don't have your money working for you. There are plenty of wealthy people, in fact, most wealthy people who live below their means. And something interesting about fitness is there's always this projection of like, okay, this is what a fit dude looks like. This is what a fit woman looks like. The dude is shredded. He's got a ripping six pack huge shoulders, the girl is, you know, flat stomach, big butt. And oftentimes those people who are used as kind of the model of physical health, uh, they're not healthy at all. Oftentimes what they're doing to maintain that physique or that aesthetic, they're doing incredibly unhealthy forms of eating. Oftentimes they take drugs or steroids. They're oftentimes actually um, leveraging their health in the long term for a short-term aesthetic. And mm-hmm. people are actually able to turn that into dollars. They're able to turn that into revenue. They're able to turn that into followers, but they oftentimes burn out and they end up, you know, back to quote unquote normal. And I feel like it's very similar mm-hmm. with wealth, which is like, you know, people will say, like, you know, there there are plenty of get rich quick schemes, but almost all of them end with people being broke. The same thing can be said of the get fit quick schemes. The the more you trade your health in in favor of aesthetic is very similar to kind of what happens if you start trading in actual long-term wealth management habits in, in for projections of wealth, whether that be possessions or material things that we have a tendency to do because I think you really hit the nail on the head is there is a substantial difference between being wealthy and looking wealthy. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And I would kind of just add on to that. Like, I would say the media side of things is kind of where things kind of get messed up, right? Where, you know, I think people don't deeply understand the media side of things because, especially in the fitness world, like the people who are running these, you know, even if it's a social media page or maybe it's a TV show or whatever, like they're using material possessions to like flex a certain lifestyle just to kind of get attention so people watch it, right? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, let's be honest, like, let me back up a little bit. There's nothing wrong with like wanting a Lamborghini or wanting a big house. Like that's, that's completely fine. Like everybody has their own goals, but like, I think where people get confused is they think that you're not rich until you get those things yeah. where, you know, that's, that's not the case. Like, like, like I said, Hollywood kind of messes everybody's up, messes everybody's mindset up of like what real wealth is. And like, sure. It can be the Lambo. It can be the big house. But to me, or like, to me, I think the biggest, the biggest part of wealth is like having complete control of your time. Like Mm -hmm. being able to do whatever the hell you want to do to me is a lot bigger of an indicator of success compared to driving a Lambo. Like what's the point of a Lamborghini if you're driving it to a job that you fucking hates um, in order to pay for it? You know, like Mm -hmm. that's kind of where the mismatch is. People just get this mental image where there's, it becomes like a big disconnect of like what reality, what reality is when it comes to wealth. And I'm sure, like you said, when it comes to fitness, like everybody has this mental image of what I need to be. And then when they when they start to realize that like oh maybe I'm never going to be able to get the Lambo, then they just give up on it completely. And that yeah. that's what I that's where I think it gets sad. It's like well just because you might not be able to afford a Lambo, like even if you get like 50, 60, 100k in an, in an investing account, like that's going to give you a lot more leverage in your life to like maybe leave a job you hate when you want to move jobs or move to another city for bigger opportunities. Like that's real wealth. That's what mm-hmm. that, that's the best thing money can buy you even if it's like 20, 30 grand, like if you got that in your bank account, that's going to build so many more options for you to like have more leverage in your life compared to being controlled or kind of like, yeah, being controlled by your job, like having to work a job that you might hate because you just like upgrade your lifestyle or you don't really manage your money correctly because you think you can't get that Lambo. So you'll never be able to get quote unquote wealthy when the definition of wealthy 
is different for everybody. And I, I would just say, like, if you have control of your time, if you're able to control your time or you have $20,000, $30,000 in the bank account and you have leverage to leave a job you hate or move to another city, like that's wealth to me. Like that, that's what wealthy is. It's not sexy. Like you don't want to go out and flex like, oh, hey, I got 30 grand in the bank. I can do whatever I want. Like people aren't going to be, I mean, people don't get it wrong. People will think that's good because most people <laughs> don't have that in their bank account, but it's not, it's not sexy. Like the Lamborghini or the big house, like, and, and I would say like kind of wrapping up my points, like that, the Lamborghini, the big house, all these like crazy stuff. Like it's more, more or less just a media stuff, right? Yeah. This is, this is people looking for attention. It's, it's like attention seeking stuff. Cause everybody kind of finds those things. It's true. And I, like, don't get me wrong. I think Lamborghinis are dope. Like I, they're dope, but I think people just have to realize that that's not, that's not the fundamental part of wealth. You know, that does that make sense? <laughs> it makes a ton of sense. And I think that the Lamborghini in this sense is a symbolism of material wealth that we can all really <laughs> understand. It's a, it's a great, um, it's a great way to kind of sum it up. There's something that you do super well, and it's something that I preach, and it's something that I talk to my clients about, my audience about, and I think it's really important, and it's the ability to be able to kind of silence the noise. So going back to that Lamborghini thing, it's like that is going to constantly be in your ear in today's media ecosystem. Get the car, get the big house, get the cool shoes, and just speaking from experience. Uh, I have my finances in order in a way that I'm proud of. I'm by no means wealthy yet, but I'm on the road to having wealth that hopefully will sustain me and my family and, and the generations to come because of small, simple habits. But I have fucked up a ton along the way because of my inability to silence the noise. I've leased cars for way more money than I should have. I've bought $500, $600 pairs of Air Jordans. You know, I have bought big you know bottles or whatever it was to flex i i am certainly i'd like to just preface everything i say i'm i'm not perfect i've made all these mistakes um and they've taught me a little bit about silencing the noise and i think one of the skill sets people can really do well with in fitness or with finance is being able to silence the noise the bullshit the misinformation and stay focused on the task at hand and it's really hard to do that what, what tips do you have or what skills um, do you think people can develop to silence the noise, to become a little bit more resilient to that ecosystem that really, really pushes people to want to flex for lack of a better term? Yeah. You know, see, that's, that's a great question. And this is something I think about a lot because around the content I make, I, I really try to dig into this point because I've found based on my page that a lot of people struggle with managing money because they feel like they have, like, th there's a difference between your needs and your wants, right? Like mm -hmm. everybody needs a house, everybody needs a car, um, everybody needs food, right? Like, these are necessities to life. And then there's the wants, the, the want side of things. And I think this is where people get confused is like, they tie things they want, like maybe they want to go on vacation every couple of weeks, or maybe they want uh, a bigger house or uh, a nicer car, but they confuse that with their needs. Like they think they need it, right? And kind of like what you were talking about, I, I think it does kind of stem from your people looking for like external validation, right? Like that, that's mostly what it comes from. Sure. And it's hard to like give advice on that. Cause a lot of that is like more of an internal thing. Like that comes from something you have to deal with internally. Very true. So, you know, I would say the, the best way I found, cause I mean, I, I've made mistakes in my life too. Like I'm not perfect either. I bought, I've overspent over you know, under budgeted certain things. So like, I'm not perfect either, but the best way I've found to kind of zone out that noise and stay focused on what you want to do is to set some sort of financial goal that you want to achieve mm. in the future. So like, you, you really have to have this like conversation with yourself and ask yourself, like, what do I want? Like, what am I doing here? Like, what's, what am I working towards? And obviously you're not going to answer that question in 10 seconds. Like that's something that might take weeks, months, or even years to really answer. Um, so I'll, I'll leave you with this. I'll say, don't feel guilty if you realize that you've made shady financial decisions in the past, because everybody's done it on one level or another, myself included. I would say what you have to do is think about, like, if you're thinking about the fact that you maybe uh, you've made terrible financial decisions in the past, you're on the right step because you're sitting there and starting to 
realize that, hey, maybe I should change the direction I'm headed in my financial life. So that's a great mindset to be in to begin with. But leading into that point is like, you definitely have to set some sort of North star. So like, whether that be the freedom to do whatever the hell you want in 10, 20, 30 years, that could be a good North star, or maybe it's to buy a house. Like if you want to own real estate, like you got to set these goals or like milestones, if you will, that will keep your attention and keep you motivated actually going out and achieving those. Right. Mm-hmm. So what, what I started what I started doing when I first started to like really care about money was I just set these like little milestones. Like my first milestone um, was like saving a thousand dollars. And I know it sounds like simple and maybe not a lot, not a lot of money, but like once, like once you achieve those smaller goals, you'll start to build like internal self-esteem and you'll Mm -hmm. be able to see that you can actually achieve these goals. And that, that momentum that you start to build, even though it's like, even if it's $500 or a thousand dollars, like once you save that, and if you've never said that before, you're going to feel internally proud about yourself. And that's where you have, that's the point you have to get to. You have to build your internal self-esteem because if you never do that, then you're always going to be looking for external validation in one way or another. So yeah, that's what I would leave you with. Like you got to set smaller goals. Like maybe first reach a thousand dollars. Once you reach a thousand dollars, never fall under a thousand dollars. So like keep your mindset to like, Hey, this is locked in stone. And then set another North Star. Maybe it's five, ten thousand dollar net worth or whatever cash saved, whatever it is for your personal finance situation. You got to figure it out and kind of audit it internally, and then set those internal goals for you to achieve. And I found, at least for me, that helped me a shit ton because I was able to like I knew what I was, I knew what my mission was. Like my personal mission was to save X amount of dollars or invest X amount of dollars. And once I achieved it, you start to build that momentum and that that internal self-esteem, and it's going to keep taking you further and further. So that, that's what I would ultimately recommend. And I mean, of course, it, it's hard, Daniel, because like with this, with these stuff, and I'm sure you, you talk about this with fitness, like everybody knows what you have to do, quote unquote, like say like for finance, it's spend less than you make and invest the difference, right? And, you know, mm-hmm. with fitness, it's probably like eat less calories, um, than your body's bringing down and like, go, go to the gym, right? Like, it's like, everybody knows the core concept of like actually making progress but a lot of it is like fundamentally it comes from like internal like your your internal self-esteem or whatever you want to call it like you have to like you have to like figure that out for yourself and it's different for everybody like everybody has different things that are holding them back and like it could be it could be insecurities or whatever mm-hmm. it is like maybe you think you're not good enough like whatever it is you got to figure that out for yourself because like whatever we say it might not really dig into that that deep but like once you figure it out, whatever it is, then you can set goals, like whatever goals it might be, like maybe save a hundred bucks or save 500 bucks. And then once you see yourself making those little, like those little steps, those little progresses, the more you're able to achieve your personal goals, the more that momentum is going to speed up and the more self-confidence you're going to get yourself to really start moving forward on what you want to do. Yeah, no, dude, it's it's so true. And like with fitness, I find that as is the case with with money, people's ultimate goal might be quite ambitious. You know, like okay, I've sat with this. Yeah. I know what I want to do. I want to have a home. I want to have my dream car, and I want to have freedom. It's like okay, that's great. And your fitness goal might be that you want to have a ton of muscle. You want to be lean, and you want to be strong. And if you set out and you're you try to initially be like, okay, I'm going to climb right to the top of the mountain in one go. It is never going to go smoothly. Mm-hmm. And in fact, what I find is just like with money, you need to break that down into the smallest goal that you can accomplish. Um, not immediately, but in the, a, the short to intermediate term, that's mm-hmm. not so challenging that you can't do it, but it's not so easy that it's it's done in a day. And exactly. when you start checking those boxes, the feedback you get psychologically from being like, oh, I did that, it becomes somewhat addictive. And, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's your fitness goals or your finance goals, you need to be realistic about your big long-term goals, but you need to break those down into small, actionable goals. You need to be able mm-hmm. to kind of quiet the noise, stay focused on, okay, this is where I want to be in 10 years. And to get there in 10 years, this is what year one looks like, or even month one yeah. looks like. And when you, when you can get that skill of breaking things down um, and you start, like you said, seeing success and and you get that first thousand. Well, all of a sudden 10, which might've felt impossible, seems very possible. And Mm -hmm. I I, I come from relatively what I would call, uh, you know, neither one of my parents had a ton of wealth. So I didn't understand anything about investing. 
I didn't understand anything about money management. I just thought that rich people were rich and then you had everybody else. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, after I had my first series of like small wins, I started to change my mood, my behavior, my identity into I'm somebody who is going to get here and you see this a lot with fitness too. It's like I'm not a fit person. I'm I'm not a fitness person. I don't I don't have that gene. And it's like, no, you just need to start with what you can. Don't bite off more than you can chew and and go from there. And the psychology that holds people back, you, you hit on something. It's like people know what they should do, save more, you know, than they spend and or spend less than they make, invest the difference, eat less than you probably should, move your body. But it's damn hard to do that because yep. there's so much external stuff. And it's like, I think the psychology of what holds people back is it, it, the same reason that people are loaded with credit card debt and the same reason that people tend to have quite a bit of weight to lose is because they can't say no to what they want yep. in that moment. And that's something that I think is a skill. And it's something that I think you can develop. Do you have any tips or tricks in this kind of consumer-driven world for better managing how you spend your money? Because I think I'd like to talk about how we spend it. What are some easy ways to save and begin investing? But I think the first thing we should talk about is how does one begin to better better spend their money and not fall victim to some of the kind of common problems like credit card debt, consumer debt, overconsumption, et cetera? Yeah, that's that's great. Perfectly said. And I, I would say the, the first step is just kind of realizing where you're at financially. Because everybody, I would say most people on average kind of just intuitively figure out how like they, they intuitively manage their finances, right? They they mm-hmm. go based off of like how they feel, like, oh, I think I can afford this bill, or I think I can afford this rent payment. And they don't actually audit or take a deep look at their finances. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's, that's a huge mistake for most people. And that's why most people end up with terrible money problems is because they're not paying attention. They're kind of driving their financial car. Blindly. Like they're not looking out the front, front fucking window. And then they end up in these terrible financial situations. So I would say the first step for like everybody listening, like if you're wanting to get your finances in order, the first thing I would say is to go through all of your financial statements. So like go to your bank account right now and pull out your statement, like pull out your last month's statement and just go through line by line of everything you're spending and just look at it. Like, like take a deep look and see where your money is going. Like this is the first step. Like you, you're and most people don't do this because they're, they're either scared to look at their, their bank account mm-hmm. or um, they just have never thought about doing it. So I would say the first thing I would, I would do if I was anybody listening to this podcast, and they want to get their money together, go through your, through your bank account. And the next step would be to go line by line and put whether or not each transaction is a need, like if you actually needed that or a want. Mm-hmm. And be honest with yourself because it's only going to work if you're honest with yourself. Nothing's going to work if you, because like it's really easy to lie to yourself. Everybody, everybody knows that intuitively. Like I can, I can say I want to change my money, my money situation or my money future, and then just continue to spend like nothing. And then you're lying to yourself. Or same with fitness. Like you can say you want to go and work out and like change your your body and everything like that, but. Most people just say that and don't actually do anything. So they end up lying to themselves. So the first step is to like face yourself, face your face, whatever situation you're in right now. And you have to come to the realization of like where you're at financially before you can actually make progress. So that's my first thing is like go through line by line and just see, is it a need or is it a want? A lot of people, if you actually go and do this, are going to be surprised at what they find. And the, the, the second thing I would add there is like, don't feel guilty and don't think you're like, beneath everybody else financially because most people suck with money like it's not something that comes naturally to like human beings i would say like it's it's a very <laughs> complex situation like the whole money world in general sure. so don't like be easy on yourself right be easy on yourself and just focus on making small progress like if you can improve this is i, w- I was on a kick of this like last year where like just one percent daily improvements goes mm-hmm. goes a long way it's so, like if you can just improve your money situation each day, each week, each month, each year, 10 to 20 years from now, you're going to be a completely different person. You're going to be a completely different financial situation, probably one that you never thought you could be one to begin with. But the first step is you have to like, you have to manage your money. Like you have to spend less than you're making. Like, and I know, like, I hate saying that because it's super cliche because everybody hears that or they've heard it at least once, 
but it's the absolute truth. Like there's no mm-hmm. shortcut to wealth. And people are going to like, there's going to be a lot of people on wall street who tell you there is, but at the, ultimately they're just trying to get your money because they're trying to sell you a dream that doesn't actually exist. And I'm sure there's been people on this. The, I'm sure there's people listening to this right now that have experienced that one way or another. There's a bunch of scams, financial scams out there. And I mean, I'm going to be the bearer of bad news. Like the only way to build wealth is to spend less than you're making. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's the fundamental truth to finances. And until you accept that and until you're willing to face your finances head on and, and call yourself out on your own bullshit, because that, that's what you have to do, you're never going to make any progress. Taking a little break from the action here to tell you about our amazing partner, Seed. Seed makes the best probiotic supplement on the market, bar none. I'm very confident with that because I think that the probiotic space and the gut health space in general is filled with people who have no idea what they're talking about or who are looking to make a buck. This isn't to say your gut health isn't important. In fact, it's probably one of the most important and most intriguing developments we have seen in modern medicine and modern physiology. Our relationship with our guts is critical. It's crucial. And taking care of that by eating a lot of different plants, a lot of different fruits and vegetables, getting a diverse array of fiber and resistant starches can go a long way, but so can supplementing with a high quality probiotic. Seed makes the best probiotic on the market with 53.6 billion active fluorescent units. These are organisms that are going to be alive and helping transfer a variety of different benefits to the human host. All these things are actually proven to work in humans. These strains work in humans, not rodents. Seed is not uh, cheaping out here by providing you with any random strain. They're providing you with strains that help with digestive health, gut immunity, gut barrier integrity, dermatological health, cardiovascular health, micronutrient synthesis, as well as many other things. They're vegan, gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, nut-free, shellfish-free, so very friendly for those of you who may have a variety of different allergies and who are looking for a supplement you can take that can enhance a variety of different things. I have a very, very... uh, good track record over many, many years of having to deal with things like eczema and having to deal with things like psoriasis on occasion, especially when the weather changes. And I swear to you, since I started taking seed, I have noticed substantially less of that. And there's four strains included in seed shown to help with things like atopic dermatitis. So there you go. Not to mention the plethora of strains for the health of your gut. If you're looking to take your gut health to the next level, you can go to seed.com. Subscribe for their daily symbiotic. You can take one or two a day. You can share it with a partner. Sometimes you can do that. Um, But it goes a long way. It's the best probiotic supplement on the market. I absolutely love it. And you can use the code Danny15 to save. Back to the show. What's going on, guys? Taking a break from this episode to tell you a little bit about my coaching company, Core Coaching Method. More specifically, our app-based training. We partnered with Train Heroic to bring app-based training to you using the best technology and best user interface possible. You can join either my Home Heroes team, or you can train from home with bands and dumbbells, or Elite Physique, which is a female bodybuilding-focused program where you can train at the gym with equipments designed specifically to help you develop strength as well as the glutes, hamstrings, quads, and back. I have more teams coming planned for a variety of different fitness levels. But what's cool about this is when you join these programs, you get programming that's updated every single week. The sets to do, the reps to do, exercise tutorials filmed by me with me and my team. So you'll get my exact coaching expertise as to how to perform the movement, whether you're training at home or you're training in the gym. And again, these teams are somewhat specific. So you'll find other members of those communities looking to pursue similar goals at similar fitness levels. You can chat, ask questions, upload form for form review, ask for substitutions. It's a really cool training community and you can try it completely free for seven days. Just click the link in the podcast description below. Can't wait to see you in the Core Coaching Collective, my app-based training community. Back to the show. What's going on, guys? Taking a break from the show to tell you about our amazing partners over at Elemental Labs. Elemental Labs makes a flagship electrolyte product known as LMNT Recharge. Recharge is amazing. It's got bioavailable forms of sodium, potassium, and magnesium, which can really help you train, contract your tissues, and get hydrated. 
I love having it in the morning before my fasted training because oftentimes I wake up without an appetite, but I want something in my stomach so I'm not flat, I can get a pump, and I can get hydrated in the gym and still perform my best. I also love to sip on my recharge when I'm on the golf course or especially when I'm in the sauna. The more you sweat, the more likely it is that you will need to replace valuable electrolytes like sodium, magnesium, and potassium. And while if you have high blood pressure, you might not necessarily be a candidate for electrolyte supplementation, many athletes and active adults need more salt and more electrolytes in their diet than they currently get, especially if they sweat, live in warm climates, or humid climates. I found a bunch of different ways to use my recharge, but like I said, I love using it before and during my training. Whenever I do something active outside or my sweat rate increases or when I'm in the sauna and you can actually try it completely for free. All their best flavors that are totally free of sugar have only 10 calories. They're sweetened naturally and they come in amazing flavors like raspberry salt, orange salt, citrus salt. My favorite is the mango habanero or mango chili and the lemon habanero, which I take in the sauna. There's flavors for everybody, and you can check them out by going to drinklmnt slash coachdanny. They'll send you every single flavor in an individual packet. You can try them out completely free. Just pay shipping. Drinklmnt.com slash coachdanny. Get your sample pack today completely for free. Just pay shipping. Back to the show. It's so similar with fitness too. Like you mentioned something like a lot of people struggle to actually like print the statement and go through it. Like they're nervous about it. They're worried about it. I cannot tell you how many people I have worked with that don't want to step on the scale to get that initial starting point. I understand that there may be some variation in how people relate to that data, but it's Mm -hmm. fascinating to me the aversion people have to getting that starting point when they know it's ugly because it's like, hey, I, I, I almost don't want to know how bad it is because somehow, some way, this would be an indictment of how I've been doing things. And that would that would really challenge my identity. And confronting that is the first step in change. It's like, look, if you want to become somebody who is in better shape, you've got to identify the problems that you've got going right now that are stopping that from happening. And the Mm -hmm. very, very good news is that they're probably the same problems that most everybody else has. And maybe there's some psychological, sociological, you know, nuanced things specific to your life. Maybe you have kids, Maybe you have uh, a caretaker role that you have to undertake. Maybe you're a full-time student and you work, you know, but somebody somewhere has been able to find success in a similar situation. And it started by confronting this, this initial fear of, I've got to acknowledge that I've got some habits that are working against me. And that's really fucking hard for people to do. I think we've been conditioned not to want to face that. Um, and I, I think that another thing I, I, I've seen with, with finances is people don't want to look at their credit cards. They don't want to. They don't want to know. They almost don't even want to know, or they don't want to look at their student loans. They don't want to look yeah. at it. They just they want to kind of stare away and and act like it's not a problem. And not to get doom and gloom, but with your fitness or with your finance, you know, you can't look away for too long before it becomes a bigger problem. And that uh, that initial band-aid tearing off, that initial like audit of your statement, that initial step on the scale, that initial, you know, taking the junk out of your pantry or leaving the credit cards at home, whatever it takes, whatever those initial painful habits are, there's no doubt that it will lead to substantially more freedom, happiness, uh, and and peace of mind down the road. You just have to get over that initial discomfort that comes with changing how it is you look at your situation. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I mean, perfectly said, and I would say like, it, it's only going to get better. Like you were saying, right. If, if you like, it might be painful, it's going to be painful initially, whether it be you're trying to tackle your finances or your fitness, like that, that initial dive into whatever you're trying to do is going to be painful. Like, I'm not going to lie to you, but however, it's going to be even more painful if you don't do it until 10, 20 years later, right? Mm-hmm. The problems will only get worse, kind of like what you alluded to. So you have two choices. You can either dive in now and rip off that Band-Aid now. And I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah, it's going to be painful initially, but it will only get better from here on out. So that's like right. that's, that's, that's choice A. Choice B is you continue to lie to yourself and continue to ignore it and mm-hmm. delay and just push it off to the future. And then it's going to get worse. And it's going to be even more difficult to rip off the Band-Aid in the future. Yeah, and I 
I'll, I'll leave it with this as well. Like, I think, I think we get messed up as, as humans or whatever is, you know, we, we dwell on the past, like our past situation or whatever it is. And kind of like what you were saying earlier, like we, we build this identity of like, you know, maybe I am terrible with credit cards or I've been terrible with money in the past. And I'm just like, then you, you, you build this identity and just say, I'm terrible with money. Like I'm not good with money. I'll just never. But by saying that you, you tell yourself that you'll never worry about it. And then you just continue to use that excuse, quote unquote, I'm bad with money. And you live that life. But all it takes for you, all it takes is like whoever's listening to this right now, like if you just take this moment to to commit to like taking action and to ripping off that bandaid and going through your finances and going through your bank statements and, and figuring out, you know, where am I? Where am I at? Like let's let's start figuring this out and start making progress. Like, yes, it's gonna be painful, but if you start acknowledging it and tackling it head on right now, you're only gonna improve your situation in the future. And mm-hmm. I'm with fitness and finance, the beginning is the most difficult part, no matter sure where is. you're at financially. Like even, even if you have no debt and you want to start building wealth, like the beginning is always the hardest part because it's it, it's all based on the compound effect, which I'm assuming fitness is as well with like the whole you sure know, building muscle and everything. Um, and the beginning is the hardest, but like as you can as you stay consistent and you're committed, like it as time goes by, it's only going to continue to improve. So like you have to you have to be willing to first be consistent with whatever you're doing, whether it be figuring out your fitness or figuring out your finances and also respect like the, the long-term process. Cause it takes time. Like you, everybody has a certain amount of time in their day and every action you take, whether that be going to the gym for an hour, like you're spending your time on that task, or maybe you spend an hour managing your finances or learning about investing and stuff like that. That time that you're investing, that you're spending is something that, will compound over time. Like all of our time is limited, right? So if you if you choose to not spend the time investing or if you choose not to spend your time working out and bettering your fitness, then you'll never make progress in that area. You know? So like mm-hmm. you have to, I, I like to think about it every time I spend an hour of trying to like, if I go to the gym or if I go and like learn more things, like read another book on finance, like I'm investing more, more of my time resources, so to speak in that area. Sure. And it's going to improve my life two to five to 10 to 15 to 20 years later. Yeah. And I, w- I would say, just kind of wrap that up. I would say it all comes down to like the, the delayed gratification part of things, right. To where you have to be, first you have to understand. Cause like, I, I can tell you to delay gratification, but if you don't understand, like deeply understand what that does for you in the future, then you're just going to be doing it without actually understanding why you're doing it. And then you're going to give up two to three months later. It's so like, you got to educate yourself um, in the finance world, start reading books, you know, dive in. There's so many YouTube videos. I have my Instagram page where I put out stuff out there. There's so many resources, but the first step is you have to understand why you want to do it. Like why you want to commit yourself to bettering your financial future, to bettering your fitness. And then B, you have to take initiative and actually go and do it. Totally. And the cool thing is, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably one personal growth oriented and two already into fitness. And having been in this industry for about nine years, I've worked in a management role. I've had multiple trainers underneath me, gotten to the point where I'm in not a mentorship role, but I've had the opportunity to talk to lots of younger trainers and fitness professionals. And one of the things I talk to them a lot about is getting their money right. And those of you who already have your fitness in check, there's a good chance you've already developed the skill of delayed gratification or the ability to better delay gratification. This money stuff will come easier to you because that psychological, I don't want to call it default, but that psychological hardwiring that exists in your reptilian brain, like we're a 200,000 year old organism. And like for the majority of our time on this planet, there was no advantage to delaying much gratification at all. You found food, you eat that shit. If you found a resource, you gobble that shit up. And Mm -hmm. you have to fight that component of your psychology every day, all the time, whether it's not stopping at fast food, not grabbing junk, not buying that item that they put right by the checkout that's so cool that you want. You know, There's so many times a day that you have the choice to delay gratification. Every time you do it, you cast a vote, like as James Clear would say, you you cast a vote for the person you ultimately want to become. When you delay gratification, you get better at it. When you don't, you get worse at it. But if you're already like pretty good with your fitness, you're pretty good with making sacrifices nutritionally, you've carved out time in your day, 
this money stuff should come a little easier to you. And it can be a huge component in how you manage your health in the long term. I work with a lot of clientele who are advanced age, who have their money figured out. That's part of the reason why they can afford a personal trainer. They say it's one of the best investments they've ever made, but you don't get to afford that in later age if you don't get your money right. You can't maintain your health in later age if you don't have your money right, or it's at least harder. And so I'd love to segue now into some kind of foundational habits for those who are beginning to invest. Like there's there's lots of different people out there with lots of different philosophies, but what do you think are some good foundational habits? Let's say you've audited your finances, you, you've made the commitment to uh, spend a little less on your wants um, and and you know really kind of build out from your needs. It's like I've got my needs, those are those boxes are checked and the wants, I'm gonna toss some of those out in the hopes that I can build wealth in the long term. What are the the kind of foundational things? Because with fitness, I'd say, look, don't eat the junk, drink more water, find an exercise program that works for you, try to eat mostly whole foods. And and how those individual things look can be very different. But but what are those big rocks for beginning your investment journey? Yeah. Um, so the first step definitely is um, you first got to spend less than you make. That's that's step one. Once you get to that point, step two is to, to start investing, right? Investing is how you grow your money. You're essentially buying things that pay you to own them. Um, and that takes time. Uh, most people don't see real results in the stock market for five to 10 years. Uh, the stock market, it's volatile, right? It goes ups and downs in the short term. Nobody can predict what's going to happen in the short term. There's a bunch of people who will try, try to tell you they can, and they'll watch, they'll try to sell you something in order to quote unquote, tell you what's going to happen in the short term. But those are all just more or less scams, 99% of them. There might be some people who have some insight that can potentially, you know, potentially give you some insight on where things might go, but nobody mm-hmm. knows with 100% certain where the market's going to go. So I would say step two, though, you have to invest for the long term. So figure out once you have that additional income, so like once you're spending less than you make, you're going to be able to figure out how much money you can consistently invest. And my thing is, what I what I tell people to do is you want to automate your finances as much as possible. Mm. So once you have a stock brokerage account, um, once you have that all set up, figure out what you want to invest in. I always recommend like an index fund like VO, or S, which is an S&P 500 index fund. And it essentially holds for like simple terms, it holds all the 500 top companies in the United States. So by investing in VO, you're essentially betting or investing on all 500 top public companies in the United States. Um, and that's that's a great way to kind of build long-term wealth. Warren Buffett always recommends VO to investors who don't really want to dive in too deep about it. He just he's, he's even said that he wants his trust, like after he dies, he wants his trust put into VO, um, into that specific fund. So I think that's a, a great way for 99% of people to invest. Um, on average, Vo earns anywhere from 10, around 10% per year on average. Um, and obviously there's going to be ups and downs. So year one, you might see 20% gains. Year two, you see 30% losses. But over the long run, over 10, 20, 30 year period, that's going to, you're going to average, historically it's averaged around 10% per year. And keep in mind, like I'm just giving you my opinion on things. So definitely do your own research before sure. diving into anything. Because um, I want, again, I think the whole theme is with this whole financial thing is you have to deeply understand what you're investing in and why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. But if you can commit to consistently investing, like let's say maybe you can only do like 20, 30, 40, $50 a week into Vogue, that's step one. And if you can master that, you're going to be a better investor than 80, 90% of people because mm-hmm. most people can't beat the S&P 500. Even most people on Wall Street, they're mostly just making money by selling products to people who don't really know what they're investing in <laughs> as, as crazy as that sounds. But um, yeah, so if you can commit to like investing consistently, every time you get paid, you're going to be in a better, a, a much better in- financial position and investing position than most people. And I mean, even, you know, like investing $40 a week sounds like nothing, right? But over 40 year period, if you invested $40 uh, per week into like a index fund like Vo and earned an average return of 10% per year, that would come out to right around a million dollars in 40 years. Wow. Now, 40 years, like that sounds like it's a long period, but you're only investing $40 a week. So yeah, you want to get faster. There's something fascinating about like if you could tell somebody like, hey, for 
arguably the cost of what you spend a week on like coffee and, and lunch out, I could mm-hmm. guarantee that you will be a millionaire in 40 years. Like almost everybody would go, all right, I'm, I'm listening. I, you can <laughs> almost guarantee that I'll be a millionaire. And yep. there actually is an extremely high probability of these outcomes because like Josh said, the, the market has a tendency to be volatile in the short term, but it has a pretty damn consistent track record when you zoom out and look at it over the long term. And mm-hmm. the S&P 500 or those 500 companies, they change as, uh, you know, when, if a company's not big enough or, or big and it comes in or a company gets smaller, it comes out. So basically what you're betting on is the, the best companies in the world to continue to grow, which we have no reason to believe they wouldn't. And 40 bucks a week is an incredibly feasible number for a lot of people. It's just mm-hmm. getting people to be okay with that longer term play is so, so yep. hard. And, and that's where the struggle comes into play because, I mean, right now, at the time of this recording of the video, we're going through a, a bear market right now and there's mm-hmm. a lot of blood in the market. And this is why I, I put out a couple of posts where like 90% of investing is more or less like a psychology game because you have to really... You have to be in a good state emotionally and just have control of your emotions to begin with, because there's so much fear and just so much noise, so much greed in the market to where it's really, really easy to get distracted by different things going on. And the best investors are the ones who can stay level-headed when there's a bunch of fear or there's a bunch of greed. So right now, the investors who are continually continually buying every single week, even during this bear market, they're the ones that are actually going to be able to you know, benefit from benefit from everything going on and benefit long-term because they have what it takes. They have that emotional control to continue to invest no matter what's going on in the market. Yeah. So they're buying things on sale. Exactly. Yeah. And that's exactly what it is. I mean, you're literally buying the top companies in order for the S and P 500 to go to zero. Every single business in the United States would have to essentially collapse, which to to be honest with you, if that happened, you're going to have a lot bigger things to worry about than the stock market, you know? Exactly. Uh, so, you know, you're essentially betting on the overall United States economy. And as long as things continue to innovate, and if if history is any any indicator, I mean, we do a, a hell of a good job at innovating, you know? I mean, there's always going to be moments of uncertainty. There's always going to be moments of fear and just, you know, crazy things going on in the world. But we humans have always found a way to get past our problems. You know, like mm-hmm. think about this. Let me let me add this in real quick. Ever since, like, I mean, we've gone through the Great Depression. We've gone through so many different crashes. We've gone through the 2008 financial crisis. We've gone through the 2000 tech bubble. Every time during these specific periods, everybody thought America was over, the economy was over, nothing was ever going to recover. But every single time, business ingenuity and just the people around these massive businesses in America were able to find a way around the problems. And if history is any indicator, I wouldn't see why we can't continue to do that. That's exactly right. Um, so I love I love it. You can start investing simply by just finding an index fund like VU or VO. It's VOO yeah. um, yeah. <laughs> that mimics or, or contains the companies in the S&P 500. So it's going to mimic the general trend of the S&P 500. And you can yeah. get started with any amount of money. Ideally, you're going to automate that investment to uh, minimize the one thought processing on your end, and two, hopefully, to keep that habit going when your psychology might want you not to. Another question that I have, and I, I do think that this is important because everybody wants to have peace of mind and to be able to relax. And uh, money is a big stressor for people. When it comes to having cash reserves or an emergency fund, do you think that it's important for people to set a certain amount of money aside in a cash account or in a savings account for emergencies? If so, what's a good way to get started on doing that? And do you have an amount that you think is is reasonable for people? Yeah. So that's a good question. And I would say, ultimately, you kind of have to audit your situation because Let's say, for example, like maybe you're into sales or whatever, and your your income's kind of patchy, and maybe yeah. your income 
falls during like downtimes in the economy, then obviously if you're that type of person, you're going to want to have a bigger emergency fund to get you through the inevitable bad times. Totally. So the one thing I'll say before I dive into this question is the markets operate in cycles. So there's always going to be times of periods of up, like when everybody's super excited, optimistic about the future. And then there's going to be periods like right now where everybody's fearful and pessimistic about the future. And these cycles have continued on for hundreds of years throughout, throughout America and just thousands of years, if you go back to different societies, like there's always, there's always ups and downs. Like that's just, I would say that's like the fundable, fundamental way of growth in life and, and in the stock market as well. So it's, sure. it's funny how those are tied. So in order to get you through those inevitable downtimes that we will have, and they're inevitable, like they're always going to happen. You, can, I, I highly recommend to have some sort of emergency fund um, because the one thing you don't want to do during bad times is sell your stocks, especially when the stock market is, is crashing. So like, let's say if you have some sort of emergency, like you're laid off from your job for a month or two, like you want to have some money set aside to get you through those bad times. So you don't have to go out and sell your stocks at a loss. And then that's going to interrupt your whole long-term growth. So for a specific amount, for a specific dollar amount of what you should invest or what you should um, set aside for your emergency fund, the, the, the kind of consensus knowledge is anywhere from like one to three months of total expenses. So if you have like all of your expenses are $2,000 a month, and let's say say that you have kind of a crazy job where it's kind of like sketchy and not as stable, you're probably going to want to be on the higher end. So maybe three months. So you'd want to have like $6,000 set aside in an emergency fund to get you through three months of if you get laid off or maybe some sort of an emergency, a health emergency happens and you need like a couple grand, like nobody thinks they need an emergency fund until Until an emergency happens. Yeah. You know, that's the simple truth. And you, you like for the specific amount, you just have to audit like your job, like, is your job pretty stable? Like, look at, look at like history trends, like look back in like the 2008 crash, like how did your industry perform? Like how stable is your industry? If you're in like a tech job, like we're starting to see this right now, those jobs are like more like that, that industry is like high growth. So those jobs tend to get hit the most during recessions. Mm -hmm. So you're probably going to want to have on the higher end, like a three month emergency fund. But if your job's like an insurance, like if you work at like state farm or something like that industry is very slow moving. So you'll probably be fine in a recession. So you could probably be on the lower end to like a month of expenses. I love that. All right. Last question to close with, just because I think this is another one of those un impossible to miss parallels between fitness and finance. And, and that is how you know, there's always a new supplement. There's always a new diet. There's always a new workout. And oftentimes what's tried and true and proven to work with an extremely long track record is unsexy and generally unappealing, particularly for people who are new or want things fast. Same thing can be said in finance. And that has created space for things like cryptocurrencies and NFTs. And my audience is on the younger end. And I think that those two things in particular are hard to understand. And I definitely am not going to ask you to explain the nuances of (laughs) NFTs or cryptocurrencies. Instead, what I would ask is, as a general recommendation, do you think that there is value in those? Or would you recommend people steer clear and lean into more of what's tried and true? So... What I'll say is this, I think if you're just getting started, the the first thing you should do is to like master the fundamentals. Mm -hmm. So stick, like jump into index funds first. Like those are super simple. They're a lot more conservative, but like once you start, once you get to the point where you have like a solid financial foundation, um, I don't think there's anything wrong with like trying different things. Like maybe if you want to go jump into NFTs or crypto, like you can maybe with like, you know, 5% of your portfolio. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong doing that. But I think the one thing you have to keep in mind is that there's those areas like the crypto world, the NFT world, even just the growth stock world in general, they're a lot more riskier. Sure. And the odds of you losing 100% of your money are a lot higher. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. You can make a lot of money too. Like I don't want to hate on those, on those areas in the finance world. But I would say if you're brand new to investing, like, you, know, you, you have to master the fundamentals first. Because if you can't master just like the simple concept of like, holding on to your investments and holding through the cycles. Like if you haven't mastered your emotional investing intelligence, like there's no way in hell you're going to master the, you're not going to be able to master that in the NFT world or the, or the crypto world. So I would say stick with the fundamentals first. Like if you're, if you've never invested anything, look into index funds, study index funds, study market cycles and master that area first. 
And then maybe throw a couple hundred bucks into crypto if you want to do that. There's nothing wrong with that, but just keep in mind that it's a lot more riskier and your chance of losing 100% of your money is much higher in that world. Um, you can gain more money. It's it's kind of like the wild, wild west. And you know, I, right now it's more or less gambling, but yeah. Like I, I hate to like I hate to hate on it because there's there's still a lot of interesting things going on in that space and stuff. But if you're brand new to investing, you know you don't you don't want to be going into complex a complex world that you haven't even mastered the simple world yet. So yeah. let alone the complex world, it's so much more difficult for you. Well, you made a really good point. Is at least at this point in time, it is similar or analogous to gambling. And if your goal is to build long term wealth gambling is probably a habit that you might not want to lean too much into. And even though exactly. there are upsides and there are some cryptocurrencies that are quote unquote more stable, um, as a foundational component of how you operate, let that be a smaller percentage of your time and investment. Let the bigger, more proven, more stable stuff take up the biggest chunk of your time and money. And the same thing would be true of fitness. Like Yes, you can take cool supplements. Yes, you can try you know, new products, but let a good diet and a movement routine that works for you and good sleep be the bedrock of what it is that you do. Josh, I, I want to thank you for coming on, man. I, I think this is an extremely, extremely helpful conversation that people can learn a lot from. I think that getting your money right is incredibly important for your mental health, which is a component of your financial health. So I just want to thank you for your time, man. I'm glad we finally got to chat. Tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me. I'm on Instagram, Twitter. Uh, I have a Facebook group as well. Um, my handle is at the market hustle. Um, and yeah, if you have any questions, I mean, I try to answer as many DMs as I can on Instagram. So feel free to reach out to me if there's something you want me to clarify. It's hard to like really dive in deep. Like I know we're only at like an hour. This whole area is like super complex and there's a lot of stuff you have to cover. So it's hard to condense that all into one hour video. But yeah, I'm always, I try to reach out to so many, you know, I try to respond to as many DMs as I can. So if there's any questions I can help with, feel free to reach out. Yeah, it was a shorter time frame, but you did a phenomenal job of giving people things that they can do inside this one hour to get their money right, man. I can't thank you enough and I will check in with you soon. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me on, Daniel. I appreciate it.